God's grace, peace, and mercy be with you on this uh, third Sunday of Advent through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, kings don't run, they stride. Kings just don't throw something on, they're robed. And kings just don't grab a bite to eat from the palace kitchen, they dine, right? Kings are expected to be men of dignity and decorum, of regal behavior and composure. Therefore, kings certainly don't leap, even though that old song we love to sing this time of year, the 12 days of Christmas, you know, with the 10 lords a-leaping, it doesn't really mean anything. You know, it never meant that nobility in the old days liked to jump up and down with joy. It's just poetry for a song. (laughs) Except for one king that we know about. In the Old Testament reading today, a certain lord or king actually does leap and gets a lot of grief about it from his wife. It's King David of Israel, as you heard in the Old Testament reading, engaging in some not-so-regal behavior. Men, I'm telling you, if you can dance, or if you're a good dancer, your wives will be impressed and love you even more for it. But if you leap around like a stooge and make a show of yourself, well, that's a different story, isn't it? Your wife will disown you at the party. I'm not with him, she'll say. Well, David's got a reason for leaping. He's got a reason for leaping about so embarrassingly, so undignified, because he's overjoyed. His wife, Michal, this woman, I mean, this woman has no sense of humor or whimsy, right? She thinks David is behaving repulsively. Others may also be shocked at King David's behavior, but he doesn't care. He's overjoyed that the Ark of the Covenant is bringing being brought back into Jerusalem. Yes, that ark this time. The one from Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, we should be thankful that uh, Steven Spielberg made that 1981 classic. I mean, before the movie became so popular, unless you were schooled in Old Testament history or a regular churchgoer, who actually paid attention to the lessons on Sunday, people didn't know what this biblical object was. Ark? Always thinking Noah's Ark. Now, pretty much everyone remembers, oh yeah, the Ark of the Covenant. That's that gold box that melts the faces of Nazis when it's opened. People know it's a religious object which has power power of God behind it. It's significant in our culture now. In real life, though, it didn't melt people's faces off when it was open, but God did vaporize a couple of people who touched it after they were told not to. Remember what it was like when your earthly father said to you, don't touch that, and you did. Yeah, You did it anyways. Imagine your heavenly father saying to you, 
don't touch that. And you do it anyways. <laughs> Poof. <laughs> All of that aside, though, you know, the main thing about the ark is that it was a place set apart for God's presence on earth. In ancient Israel, if you wanted to know where God physically was, where he physically located himself, <clears throat> he was where the ark was. It was indeed a gold-covered box on top of which sat the mercy seat. Now, the mercy seat wasn't a chair, but it was the box top which had the two angels of gold mounted on top, as you can see there in the picture. It's a pretty good uh, replica they made for the movie. Uh, the angels are up there like two like uh, a couple of hood ornaments on uh, those old classic automobiles. You know, it's a long story about how David had tried to bring the ark to Jerusalem three months before our text takes place in 2 Samuel. But after Uzzah, one of the guys that was uh, uh, fried for touching the ark, David was afraid to even go near it. And he left the ark with a man named Obededom. Now, after some time had went by and he heard that Obededom had been blessed by God because of having the ark, taking care of it, David kind of realized, well, maybe this thing is safe to be around again. So he tried to bring it back to Jerusalem. And as part of the procession, David changed into some kind of uh, uh, garment, you know, made a sacrifice before the ark. You heard about the animals that he sacrificed. And he entered into Jerusalem, dancing and leaping for joy before God's presence. And David's wife may have not found his behavior very fitting for a king, but God did. In fact, God struck David's wife. He didn't vaporize her. Instead, he caused her to be barren for the rest of her life because of how she squashed David's rejoicing that day. Rejoice is the word that echoes through the church this week. We, we heard Paul's rejoice. Rejoice. There you go. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice, Paul says. Now, what's the reason for this? Paul says the Lord is at hand. He's here. And that truly is a cause for rejoicing. We don't have to go up to heaven and search for the Lord and, and bring Him down to us, He comes to us. And this news should make our hearts leap for joy. Often, we do not rejoice. Our hearts are dull when it comes to hearing of God's presence with us. We pray in church all the time, stir up our hearts, O Lord. Those little prayers, we, those little stir up prayers we use in church, those come from the Psalms most of which David wrote with the Holy Spirit. Stir up our hearts, O Lord, for our hearts are heavy with discontent and numb with apathy. Look, I'm not saying you have to leap for joy in the aisles, although if you were to do that, I would not stop you. I wouldn't squash your joy like David's wife, Michal, I know we've become accustomed to hearing about the joy that we have, especially the joy we have in the child born in a manger. 
I guess it's a joy we'll never really fully experience until we're with God face-to-face in heaven. But see, he knows this about us, and yet he still desires to be with us. He doesn't have apathy towards us. God is very interested in you and me and all people. Just ask John the Baptist. Well, you can't now, but you will someday. Six-month-old John the Baptist, and I'm not talking about six six months out of the womb. Six months since conception, John the Baptist understood the joy God gives by sending Jesus in human flesh among us. He knew that, even in his mother's womb. When pregnant Mary visited pregnant Elizabeth, he flipped around in there. He flipped around upon, or danced around, or leapt upon hearing the voice of the woman carrying his cousin, the Savior. He did a little dance because something even fuller of God's presence than than the Ark of the Covenant had come. How much more reason then for John to leap like David? Mary carried in her none other than God's presence in human flesh. Jesus Christ, God drawing near, not just to Jerusalem, but to the whole world. Jesus was like us, and yet he was fully God, fully divine. His holy, sinless presence in Mary's womb made her something special. It made her the new and better bearer of God's presence. She was God's Ark of the Covenant. And she bore the new and greater mercy seat, the Christ, inside her. Though countless millions turn away from God all the time, every day since the beginning, He still turned towards us in His Son's birth. He became human so that He could be stripped and humiliated for our offenses and die on a cross to atone for our indifferences toward Him. Though it may not look like it at first glance, the, more, the most joyous sight we could ever see is the promised son of David drawing near to Jerusalem to die for us. His joy in doing his father's will was like King David's joy. But Jesus' joy in willingly going to the cross meant our acquittal from sin and our resurrection to eternal life with him. The child who came forth from Mary's womb would also come forth one day from his tomb in triumph over sin and death to reign forever. We sung that, uh, well, last week we sung it. We didn't sing it this t- today. But we sung that Christmas hymn which asks the question, what child is this, right? What child is this? Green sleeves. He's the same God who drew near to King David And made him leap. He's the same God who drew near to John the Baptist and made him leap. The child is the antithesis of a killjoy. You know, he's the world's joy bringer. Joy in the flesh. He is pure cheer for the heavy hearted and the oppressed. He's the one whose second arrival we long for. 
So again, Paul says, rejoice that God is with you. Rejoice like David and John the Baptist before you. <clears throat> you know, you see a lot of Christmas decorations on people's lawns and houses, don't you? You know, huge inflatable uh, snowmen and Santa Clauses with reindeer and such. <clears throat> and some people still put <clears throat> a nativity scene in their front yard, sometimes life-size ones. I don't think I've seen any inflatable ones yet, but <clears throat> you know, some are quite realistic looking, even though they're made of plastic and have lights inside of them. Do you wonder, though, if people drive by those and ask themselves, what child is that in there? You know, have they taken it to heart that the decorations, the decoration represents or brings to mind more than just a quaint holiday image? You know, how about the person who puts their trust in human logic and reason, science and the material world, drives by nativity knowing, or, you know, not knowing actually, that the creator of logic and reason and science and nature and all things in the universe is the one that squirmed about in that manger, on that bed of straw, wrapped with nothing but a couple of strips of cloth to stay warm. How about the spiritual person who walks by a nativity and believes all religions and spiritual philosophies point to heaven and so the baby is just another religious symbol? The person like I was who saw a nativity and didn't think anything about it because I just didn't care about such things, which didn't have anything to do with me. You know, the whole person, the whole purpose of that little scene is to show people the Lord is at hand. He's here. He's here on earth as He is in heaven. And to those whom He has given faith and put their trust in Him, He is so near He even resides in them. And they in Him. They are forgiven of all their sins, renewed in spirit, to be more like Him. Man, that's about as close to God as you can get. And that's the truth for you and me. In the name of Jesus, amen.